You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Amen. All right, if you would, turn your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter number 9. But if you would, please, turn to Romans 9. And don't forget, oh yeah, Hannah's going to be doing junior church today, so please uh, remember that if you've got kids up to the age of 8. Um, all right. Uh, Romans chapter 9, but if you would hold your place there, uh, I'm going to begin by reading a passage out of the book of Exodus this morning. So we're going to be uh, preaching between Exodus and Romans because it's the same uh, message basically, but that way we can see both. And while you're turning there, holding your place in Romans 9, and then going back to Exodus chapter uh, number... What? Did I tell you a chapter? All right. Exodus chapter number 7. Exodus 7. And while you're turning there, I want to begin with uh, a verse that I want to emphasize a few times today. And that is this. Hebrews 3.15. While it is said, Today, if you will hear, if ye will hear His voice, harden not your hearts. Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts. And that's the message today. Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts. Let's go to the Lord once again in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray, dear God, for Your power and Your anointing. Lord, as I read... I believe it was a week or so ago there in the book of Ezekiel where Ezekiel said that the hand of God was mighty upon me. Lord, I pray that your hand would be mighty upon me this morning. God, I pray that your spirit would work in this place and speak to hearts, dear God, those that may be here that are not saved. God, I pray that you'd help them not to harden their hearts. Lord, and for those that are saved, God, same thing, Lord. Help us to be willing to follow you, dear Lord. And we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I will say this, when I, I, in the, the verse I read there in Hebrews 3.15, Today if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts. That verse in application, as far as in the context of Hebrews, is speaking to the people of God that we need not harden our hearts. Uh, the emphasis of today's message out of the book of Romans is going to be directed a little bit more toward those that are unsaved. Pharaoh being the example that God gives in the book of Romans chapter number 9. But first I want to read a passage. and I'm going to be reading several verses out of the book of Exodus. So if you'd like to keep that place marked, you can go back and forth as I go back and forth. But at least at the beginning, I would like to read you these verses here in Exodus chapter 7. And we're going to skip down to verse number 10. And I want to give you a quick, uh, get you up to this point in the book of Exodus. Uh, Moses has been sent at the age of 80 years old. You're never too old to serve the Lord. Uh, at the age of 80 years old, Moses was sent to deliver the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And uh, this is his first uh, encounter with, uh, actually it's uh, uh, one before this, but he, he, he oh no, this is the first encounter here with uh, Pharaoh. So with that being said, I'm actually going to drop back a couple more verses. Um, let's see. All right, let's go back. I'll tell you what, we're going to go back to, I want to start in verse number 10. Yeah, okay, we are starting in verse 10. Okay, all right. This is the first time that Moses is coming to 
Pharaoh to let him uh, know what God's message is, all right? And the Bible says in Exodus 7, verse 10, And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. So he threw down his rod, his stick, his staff, and when it hit the floor, it turned into a serpent. And... Uh, and, and, but it doesn't stop there. The Bible says in verse 11, Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, uh, now the magicians of Egypt, uh, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And he hearkened unto Pharaoh's, and he hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Then verse 14, and the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And notice this, he refuseth to let the people go. He refuseth to let the people go. So the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Now, if you'll turn over to the book of Romans chapter number 9, in Romans 9, we're going to consider... These verses where God deals with this, beginning in verse number 17, chapter 9, verse 17, the Bible says, For the Scripture saith, this is Romans 9, 17, For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that thou, thou might, uh, that I might show my power in thee, and that thou might, uh, I'm sorry, man, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will harden, and, and, and on whom he will hardeneth. Verse 19. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but O man, who art, uh, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed uh, say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Why hast thou made me thus? Verse 21, Hath not the potter power over the clay and over the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another to dishonor? Now we're going to continue in this difficult passage of Romans 9. I'm having a difficulty reading it, but it's not difficult from that standpoint. But it's difficult sometimes in understanding. And if you'll just bear with me for a moment, I just want to get you through the, pa the, the pa passages that we tried to preach on last week. Because again, they're hard passages to understand. And in short, I'll just say this. The Bible goes on in, in the verses that are leading up to this. Some of the difficult verses is where the Bible says... Um, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. It was one of the verses. That's verse 13. And so that was a difficult verse. But what that just simply means, it doesn't mean hate in the same sense that we use the word hate. It just simply means more to prefer. It means that you love more. So, you know, I used the, I used the example of burgers last night. I grilled some burgers on the grill last night. And so I would say that I loved those burgers. I mean, I took ground beef and I put them and I patted them out myself. Leave the frozen pre-things, pre leave them for whoever else buys those, amen? Give me the meat, let me make it into patties, and let me season it, and let me put it on the grill. Amen, them things are good. So, in relation to that, I could say, those burgers I loved, but Culver's have I hated. If I was to use the vernacular, verse number 13, uh, those burgers last night, those grilled out burgers I loved, but Culver's have I hated. Man, you hate Culver's? No. It's just in comparison. I'll, but here's the thing. 
I love Culver's, if you compare it. And, and then Crystal have I hated, if you know Crystal, or White Castle or something. Uh, you know, you understand what I'm saying? And, and, and what it's just simply saying is, you just prefer one above the other. So when the Bible says that God hated this man, it does not mean that God is up there with some vindictive uh, meanness about him. That's not what it's talking about. It's just simply saying that he preferred... Uh, uh, Isaac over Esau. So that's the way we uh, understand this. But then, in general, another thing that we looking at that was also talking about the choosing of Isaac and Ishmael, Isaac and Jacob, and the subsequent rejection of Ishmael and Esau. And just understanding that these were governmental, uh, so to speak, or, or in regard to the nation, that he would work through uh, them as a nation, it does not have to do with salvation. And I'm just putting some of this out here because this is the confusion of some of these verses. And when we get into the passage there with Pharaoh, it's no different. The, the misunderstanding continues through this passage. But the great thing about God's Word is that we can know it. And the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. And God does not change His mind. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the same God that we find throughout the rest of the Bible is being spoken about here in Romans chapter number 9. And I'm glad that we can see that with a little bit of study. And I'm saying all that to say this. With Jacob and Esau, with Isaac and Ishmael, and then with Pharaoh, God hardening the heart of Pharaoh... There's one thing you can count on and mark down in the Word of God, and we're going to see it today with Pharaoh. God never, God never uses His electing grace. He never uses His sovereignty, foreknowledge, or predestination to send anyone to hell. Never. All caps, underlined, circled, bold print, never. Never does He do this. We as human beings have no right to summon God before the bar of justice and accuse Him of being wrong in Him choosing these people as nations. But He's not choosing one to be saved and one to be lost. He's choosing one to be a nation that He's going to use. God has offered salvation to everyone. And even in this, an expression of, is, is His expression of grace and mercy. Whether or not an individual will be delivered from condemnation depends on whether or not he will accept God's salvation. So again, it's not, a, it's not talking about salvation in these verses. To do so would be to try to apply it to salvation. But in many cases, people do that and they misapply this to salvation. Now, we're going to see this in connection with hardening your heart. The Bible says, how do you feel about this? The Bible says that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. That he hardened the heart of Pharaoh. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about the idea of God hardening someone's heart? See now, there's, there's two extremes that we must always avoid when it comes to God. There's many today that would like to overemphasize the mercy of God and say that God is quote unquote too kind or, or too loving to judge and condemn. And of course, there's many of those people out there today. I mean, man, you can find a, a plenty of churches that uh, they don't call sin, sin anymore. Amen. It's just, it's just a weakness or a mistake or whatever, and it's not condemned for what it is. But so there's an error, there's an extreme to overemphasize the mercy of God, but then there's also another extreme. Have you noticed this? You mark it down. Within religious circles, people like to swerve. 
People like to overcorrect. You ever overcorrected? I, I, was, I, was, I was leaving Jefferson yesterday, and there's a squirrel ran out in the road, and this woman, you know, just rips that wheel. I'm just like, hit the stupid thing. Right? I mean, the coons got to eat at night, right? And the birds and stuff. I mean, feed them. But, I mean, don't kill somebody else. But, but people will overcorrect. And sometimes people will go this way or you're, or you're starting to go off the road. And when you realize you're going off the road, rather than just gently, uh, this is driver's ed, kids, listen up. And some of you that aren't kids, uh, when you start to drift to one side or the other, you don't have to rip it over to the, just ease it right back up. Amen. You don't have to. But, but, but in, in, in religious circles, people like to swerve. And so somebody hears somebody overemphasizing the love of God and the kindness of God. And oh, he would never judge. And, and, and there's no way he would ever allow anyone to go to hell. And, and so forth. Well, somebody says, no, man, he wants to send everybody. You know, or something. People like to swerve. Instead of just coming back because the balance of truth and the balance of where we need to be as a New Testament church is in the Bible. And, uh, and, and the Bible is right. So we stay right within the Bible, but the Bible teaches us some things. So people like to overemphasize the severity of God and make God, in this instance, for example, the author of Pharaoh's stubbornness. And this is important because if you just read this in Romans chapter 9 and didn't consider the larger context of Exodus and so forth, it could appear that God is the author, the one who made it. To where Pharaoh's heart was going to be hardened. Uh, and, but see, I want to say this. That to announce or to foreknow is not the same as the manipulation of will. Think about it this way. A parent warns a curious and stubborn child, which pretty much describes every child. Curious and stubborn child not to touch the oven. Not to touch the stove. Well, guess what? A kid wants to touch it anyway. And after some point, now, what do you say? Do not touch that stove. If you touch that stove, you're going to get burned. So you look at that kid and you say, uh, you say you're going to get burned, Murray. Murray wouldn't go touching hot stoves and everything. You're going to get burned. Now his sweet mom, or can you imagine his sweet mom or grandma or even, you know, the, the, the dad and grandpa telling him that and thinking, and I can't wait till it happens. I want it to happen. I'm going to make sure it happens. No. They're just telling him, you're going to get burned because you're going to touch it. And you know what? What happens? He goes and he touches it. That was not the will of mom. That was not the will of dad. They were go he was going to touch the stove and he's going to get burned. And he hopefully learns a lesson once he reaches out and touches that. And so proclaiming that you're going to be burned uh, and someone getting burned is not the same as you wanting somebody to get burned. Now, bear with me for a second. Because there, there's no way that's the will of the parent. Now, since there is no Scripture, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, there's no Scripture of any private interpretation then therefore no scripture, and I'm just going to teach you something here for a second, then I'll preach, but you mark this down. Every one of you, every Bible student needs to know this. And if, what by Bible student, I mean this. If you're saved, you need to be a Bible student. Amen? And as a Bible student, you need to know that the Bible says there's no scripture of any private uh, interpretation according to 2 Peter 1.20. No scripture should be isolated from its context 
and from other parts of God's Word that illuminate the subject being dealt with. In this case, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. So in other words, if you have a predisposed and a predisposition toward this is what you're determined to believe, you can just about come find any verse in the Bible to support it if you lift it from its context, if you isolate it from its teaching throughout God's Word. But we don't do that because we we don't want to determine what we believe and then go find Bible to support it. That's not what we do. We say, you know what, I'm open. I want to know what God says. We go into God's Word and we let God's Word determine what we believe. We don't determine what we believe and then go into God's Word to try to find a verse or two to support it. You ever done that? I've done it. Uh, and, and other people have done it. I'm talking about personally. I can remember as a, as a, as a young Christian one time, and I'll, uh, I'll share that with you maybe another time, but uh, but, but the point is this. There's no scripture of any private interpretation. Um, and it's, it's, it's especially important, therefore, in a difficult portion of scripture such as this to get the full Bible picture, the full biblical picture. Now, I want to preach this morning about harden not your heart. I want to preach specifically and really emphasize this to those that may not be saved, those that may not know the Lord, but there's an application to those that are saved by God's grace. And if we're saved by God's grace, this is something good for us to know as well. The process of hardening. Now, the historic account of God's dealings with Pharaoh is from Exodus chapter 1 roughly all the way to Exodus 14. And I'd encourage you maybe to take a look at those passages sometime today. Exodus chapter 1 through chapters 14 dealing with this process of hardening. Now, here's the interesting thing. 20 times, 20 times in the course of said history, in other words, God dealing with Pharaoh, does the expression hardening or harden occur. 20 times. Three different Hebrew words are employed, or three different Hebrew words are uh, used. And the thing about hardening your heart, the thing you're going to find out throughout the Bible, again, not, not just isolating this one verse in Romans, but looking at it in the greater context, the Bible says, harden not your heart. The implication there is this, it's a matter of the will. Now, the three different Hebrew words that are used throughout those first 14 chapters of Exodus uh, for harden is, mean this. The way it was used in, and you can mark these down, but Exodus 7 verse 3, it means to make hard. And it has to do with being insensible. Insensible. In other words, indifferent. Indifferent. So people can harden their heart through indifference. You may be sitting here today indifferent. You don't care. I mean, you know, it's like Jesus warned about those who says, uh, you've, you, you've sung, you, you've, uh, we, we've piped and you haven't danced, and we've mourned and you haven't cried, basically. I mean, just people that are indifferent. That's a form of hardness in the heart. And so, but there's also in Exodus 10, 1, the way it's used there is to make heavy. And that speaks of being unimpressionable, unyielding. And that's when you just uh, start getting to the place to where you're not going to pause and listen to what's saying. Your mind is already made up. You're determined not to hear, not to consider what God is saying to you. And then in Exodus 14 verse 4, that means to make firm. And that literally means immovable. Immovable. I always get in my mind where the Bible talks about the stiff-necked. The stiff-necked. 
And the picture that God gives there with the stiff neck would be that it's kind of a, a livestock reference. It's that perhaps of a horse or you could use a mule uh, that you've got the reins on and you're trying to pull and you're trying to guide that mule by, by pulling on the reins. And when you do, that horse, that animal just stiffens its neck and you can, it's just like trying to pull a tree down. Immovable. Harden not your hearts. That's how some people are. Immovable. But it starts by being indifferent. It goes to being unyielding to where you're not willing to stop and listen. Now, by the way, did you know this? If, you are, if you're really firm in what you believe, you can have a conversation with somebody else with contrary beliefs. You can be challenged in your beliefs. You can, you can take time to listen and consider what's being said. And I'll tell you something else. You can revisit and reevaluate that which you've been taught. To say, you know what, I've always thought this, but you know what, I'll go back and take another look. Because I don't want to be, I want to be right. But I don't have to be right right now. In other words, my ultimate goal is to know the Word of God, to be walking right, and therefore, it's not about me winning an argument. It's about me wanting to be able to say, you know what, I want to be able to be humble and yielding uh, and, and to care and to listen to what the Lord says. Now, so those are the three Hebrew words, the, the meanings that are used for harden. Now, let me get back. How many times did, is the word harden or hardening used in relation to Pharaoh? 20 times. 20 times. This is interesting. 10 of those times... It speaks about Pharaoh hardening himself. Ten times it speaks of God doing the hardening. Now, before, Pharaoh, before Moses went to stand before Pharaoh, twice the, Lord, the, the Lord's hardening is mentioned. But it's mentioned only in one case. It is God telling Moses that I'm going to eventually harden Pharaoh's heart. He's going to eventually stick his hand on the oven. He's telling him what's going to happen. But he has not done it yet. He's just telling him what's going to happen. So he educates Moses what will eventually happen to Pharaoh's heart. But the hardening process uh, that took place in time is placed to Pharaoh himself. He hardened his own heart starting when Aaron's rod was changed into a serpent. He saw something pretty miraculous. But his magicians and sorcerers were able to replicate that. So it was easy enough to say, I'm not going to yield to this message. I'm going to be indifferent to this message because I'm not so sure this is from a God that's any greater than the gods that we serve. So it started there, but he began to harden his heart. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. He hardened his heart against what was being done there. Now, and then uh, as you proceed, after that, after the first, then, then there's five plagues. How many plagues total came upon Egypt? Ten. Ten plagues that come upon Egypt. For the first five plagues, the Bible says that Pharaoh hardens his heart. Um, I'll read those, uh, just, uh, I'll give you just a quick reference to those here uh, quickly. The first five plagues. Uh, the Bible says, He hardened his heart, Exodus 8.15, He hardened his heart and he hearkened not. Which means he didn't listen. He didn't give in. In ex Exodus 8.19, the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he hearkened not unto them. 
Exodus 8.32, And Pharaoh hardened his heart at, that, at this time also, neither would he let the people go. Um, and so time and again, and then verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 7 also, and, and Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not one of the cattle, and the Israelites dead, and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And what this is just simply saying is this, all of these times, those first five plagues, every time, it is, it is Pharaoh that's not yielding. It's Pharaoh that's not giving in. It's Pharaoh that's indifferent. It's Pharaoh that, like that stubborn mule, stiffens its neck and will not listen. Harden not your hearts. God is going to harden this man's heart. But it did not begin with God making a moral choice for this man. It took this man. He made the moral choices. And since God knows everything, He says, this is exactly what Pharaoh is going to do. And, as he, and there's going to reach a point to where finally I step in and I say, okay, Pharaoh, if that's the way you want to go, and if that's what you're going to do, then I'm going to use this for my glory and my honor. And I challenge you on this because this is exactly what the Bible's teaching us here. And so the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Um, so, the, for, so for five plagues, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Only after still resisting after the sixth plague. In Exodus chapter 9 verse 12, the Bible says, And the Lord, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. In Exodus chapter 9, verse 12. After the sixth plague. By the way, I thought it was interesting on that number six. In the Bible, that's the number of man. The number of man. It's normally the number of rebellion. That's when the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. But even so, there seems to be an indication that God still left space for repentance. Why? Because, uh, because God gave him another opportunity. And after the seventh plague, the Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart once more. So it's not until after the eighth plague that, God does, that all of the hardening is now ascribed to God. That's good. Amen. So ten times... Pharaoh hardened his heart. Hardened his heart. I'm not listening. I'm not doing it. I'm not giving in. I'm not going to hearken. I'm going to stay with my own way. Pharaoh hardening his own heart. Then, ultimately, God hardened his heart. Because I want to say this about the Lord. Again, when you look at the larger context of the Bible, uh, God gives a space to repent. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 21, And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. God gives space to repent. I often think about this, and I know I've preached this to you many times, but there's a reason uh, that the oldest man in the Bible is the oldest man in the Bible. Who is the oldest man in the Bible? Methuselah, that's right. Methuselah lived longer than anyone else in the Bible. In the Bible, names are significant. People are named and they're, they're more significant generally than our names are significant, especially if they have a name by God. And Methuselah's name roughly translates as, as upon his death it will come. For over 900 years, 
God had a walking message out there. By the way, we're walking messages. We're, we're supposed to be walking messages, living epistles. That's a good message. I just thought about that. Amen. But for all those years, God had a walking message out there. After or upon His death, it will come. About 120 years before Methuselah's death, there was a man by the name of Noah that began to preach. It's coming. Judgment is coming. God's wrath is coming on this world. See, we seem to people seem to want to teach, oh yeah, that Old Testament God. It bothers me when there's people that I know that are saved by God's grace, people that I know are in their Bibles, and they say these kind of things. Well, I'm sure glad we don't have that Old Testament God anymore. You do have that Old Testament God. He's not changed, and you need to thank God for that. Why? Because for the oldest man that ever lived, God said, I'm going to let him live as long as possible because I want to give these people a chance to repent. And then before the flood, Noah preached for over a hundred years that it was coming. But guess what? So, so the chance was there. God, my point is, God leaves space to repent. Uh, God always gives space to repent. In Exodus, or I'm sorry, in Ezekiel chapter number 18, verse 20, the Bible says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The New Testament equivalent would be the wages of sin is death. I mean, listen, not only physical death, but, uh, but eternal separation in a place called the lake of fire. Hell, and then ultimately the lake of fire. But notice this, same chapter in Ezekiel 18, the Bible says in verse 21, but, but, I'm glad for these divine conjunctions, folks. I'm glad that God always puts a but in there. But, if the wicked will turn from his sins that he hath committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right. He shall surely live. He shall not die. And notice this. This is where God's delight is at. God's delight is not in judgment, but His delight is in this verse. All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. That's God's desire for every man, woman, boy, and girl that has ever walked the face of this earth was that their sins would be forgiven, never to be mentioned again. Here's what the Lord goes on to say in Ezekiel 18 verse 23, God asking a rhetorical question. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God? And not that he should refer, turn from his ways and live. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I mean, listen, he judges wickedness. He does so in a judicial way. But throughout the word of God in the greater context, time and again, God pronounces judgment. See, that's what we see. The Old Testament. Oh, that God, he says he's going to, he's judging people. He is judging people. I've already mentioned the flood, but I like Jericho. I'm destroying Jericho. I'm destroying Canaan's land. I'm destroying all the inhabitants in the land. But with God, there's all, whether you read it or not, there's always a but there. How do we know that? But. There was a woman by the name of Rahab. See, remember this. Rahab said, 
For me and all the inhabitants of the land, we've heard of your God. We've heard of this coming judgment. But Rahab said, Will you please pray to this God? Have mercy on me. Have mercy on my family. Rahab the harlot repented. Rahab the harlot put her faith in the Lord. Rahab the harlot was saved by the grace of God. But wait a second. Didn't God say He's going to kill all the inhabitants? Yes. Unless they repent. Unless they'll turn. You want to know something else cool about Rahab the harlot? I'll just say in passing. Rahab the harlot was one of the great, great, great grandmas of the Lord Jesus Christ on his mother's side. He don't have any grandparents on his father's side. Amen. But, uh, but on his mother's side, Rahab the harlot. And it still calls her that. Amen. Um, but anyway, that's a whole other message. But, 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 you know, another one is, uh, is, is Nineveh. That, you know, one of the greatest revivals ever, um, perhaps the greatest, I don't know if say, say revival, because revival is not necessarily evangelism, but one of the greatest uh, accounts in history of people being saved, the largest number of people to, to be saved, perhaps took place in the ancient city of Nineveh. When God said, Jonah, go tell them, this city's gone. Judgment's coming on this city. Within just a few days, Jonah reluctantly goes, but he eventually goes. And he just simply says a a simple message. God's judging this city. And if you know the story, go read the book of Jonah. What happened? They repented. They repented. Guess what God did? God spared that judgment. Oh, that Old Testament God, same God of today. He's the same God that does not... He don't just go around looking for people to punish. See... Here's the problem, people. The Lord, I just thought about this yesterday. All this condemning and judgment of the Old Testament, we look at that all wrong. Oh, God, what kind of God? What kind? No. It's, it's, a, it's not a poor reflection on God. It's a reflection on mankind. That's the reflection. Because there's no, every last one of these people, including Pharaoh, could have repented. Every last one of them could have been uh, put their faith in Christ. Put their faith in the Lord. But folks, uh, that is not what happened. And so, uh, so we see the process of hardening. But then I want to give you this. The progress of hardening. And this is, just my, this is my second and my final point this morning. The process of hardening. Now the progress of hardening. Step by step, the hand of God became more clearly manifested to Pharaoh. Beginning with the serpent. Now... Again, I said this already. It's somewhat reasonable that Pharaoh could explain that rod being turned into a serpent away since he saw his magicians do the same thing. Even though Aaron's rod ate the snakes. I would have loved to have seen that, by the way. Don't you hope? I don't know how it's going to be when we get to heaven, but I hope there's some kind of way to look back and see this or maybe somebody recorded it, you know, and you go back and watch it. And uh, it's on Vine or something. I just like to see it over and over again, you know, just uh, repeatedly. Uh, but but these, his, his serpent ate up those others. So it, but it's somewhat reasonable. However, by the time we get to the third plague, this is cool. The magicians themselves said, this is the finger of God. See, at first, the magicians were withstanding Moses and the Lord as well. But finally, even the magicians, they could no longer replicate. They could no longer imitate. And by the way, that's what Satan has been doing from the very beginning. He's an imitator. 
He's an imitator. We've been studying false religions. Are we where we've, I think we've wrapped it up now with Kurt. Uh, studying all these false religions and cults and everything. It's interesting as you read the, learn about these because there's elements of truth in every one of these cults. You know why? Because they're not original. They borrow certain principles and then they pervert those principles of truth. And so, uh, but, the, but the magicians could no longer do that. And the magicians just threw their hands up in Exodus chapter 8, verse number 19, and said, This is the finger of God, Pharaoh. You need to pay attention. This isn't a farce. This isn't magic tricks. This is something real. They say to Pharaoh, After the seventh plague, Exodus chapter 9, verse 27, the Bible says, And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and I and my people are wicked. Now if you didn't know the story, and maybe some of you don't know the story, you would think, well, wonderful. Pharaoh's repented. No, Pharaoh has done lip service. It's like many people I know. They, maybe you can finally get them to the point to where they say, you know what? I am a sinner and I do need salvation. I do believe that Jesus can save me. That's a great place to get to. Pharaoh got to a great place. But the Bible says faith without works is dead. And what that simply means is just to say that if you're not willing to act on that faith and call on the Lord for salvation... Then, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that's work, I'm not preaching a work salvation. I'm just saying what, what the Bible is saying there is faith makes you respond. And so, faith, the response to faith, the response to I'm being judged is Lord, forgive me. Amen. And so, so Pharaoh says this, but chapter 9 ends with Pharaoh saying, uh, the Bible says in Exodus 9 34, and when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hell and the, th the thunderstorms were ceased, he, yet, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. That's an interesting thing. There's great principles if I had the time here this morning. But think about this. Pharaoh said, okay, God, I know that I'm wrong. I remember years ago I had a fella, uh, there's been a, so many examples of this, but I had a fella show up at my house uh, when I was in Pierre. And I, I worked part-time helping a, a man in our church that was a, a block mason, brick mason, and uh, st did stonework and stuff. And uh, a fella that worked for him, uh, I, I got to know a little bit, talked to, tried to witness to, tell him about Christ, share the love of Christ. Well, on a, I think it was on a Saturday, fairly early afternoon, he shows up at my door. Jesse, I need to get saved. Wonderful, Dustin. I mean, I was excited. What's going on, man? Well, I did it again. You did what again? I got paid yesterday on Friday, and I've lost every bit of my paycheck gambling. Um, and, uh, and, and man, I just, I, I need to get things right. I need to get saved. I'm like, and I, things didn't seem right because that's not exactly why you get saved. But, it kind of reminds me, what it was basically, it was a friend of mine. I, I'll call his name because he wouldn't mind. Paul Melton. He's, he's working for the Lord out in uh, the, the northwest right now. His dad, John Melton, is one of my mentors. And, uh, but, but just about every time that boy, when he was a kid, just about every time he would get in trouble and was about to get a spanking, he'd say, Mama, please, no, I just need to get saved. 
Mom, I just need to get saved. The reason I did is because I'm not saved and I realize I need to get saved. In essence, that what, that's what Pharaoh was doing. In essence, that's what the guy that showed up at my house was doing. Sure enough, he, cut, he brought his wife and his two little boys to church that next Sunday. But I'm telling you what he wanted to do. Honey, I gambled all the money away, but good news. I'm a Christian now. I'm a Christian now. See, but that's Pharaoh. That's Pharaoh right here. Because he said, it's wrong. And then guess what? God relented. God, God, God held back the storms that were coming. See, sometimes people sit on a church pew and say, man, okay, I'll admit it. Just leave me alone, God. Or they'll be having trouble in their life. You know, listen, I want to say this, by the way. God can use losing all your money uh, and having to figure out a way to try to go home and tell your wife that. God can use that to help you see your need for salvation. God can put you on your back to help you look up and bring you to salvation. Do not misunderstand me. He does do that. Uh, but uh, it, it, our, our heart motivation has to, it has to bring to a point where it's a spiritual need that it brings us to. That yes, I've done these physical stupid things because I've got a spiritual need and, and I'm sorry for my sins before God, not but just before my wife or before my parents but before God and I need to be saved uh, and so Pharaoh closes or, 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 with, with rebellion and with hardening his heart one last time Hebrews 3.15 says, While it is said, Today if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. God reveals His truth. Think about this. This is the way it can happen with mankind if you'll just follow me here. God reveals His truth to your heart in a not so subtle way, but somewhat subtle way. Yet perhaps a way that you can explain away. See, God has given us creation. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. Some people look up at the heavens and say, Well, you know what? Maybe that's God. Or maybe it was just all a big divine cosmic accident. Maybe indeed, as children are now taught, maybe indeed there was nothing. And all of a sudden, nothing all came together and a bunch of all the nothing, all the small particles of nothing came together into a very small ball and started, and nothing that's now something started spinning together real fast. We're breaking down some major scientific principles all through this right now. We're throwing the law of thermodynamics out the window. We're, th we're throwing science out the window to even have this conversation right now. Understand this. I'm talking about true science. Things that you can take and prove. We're, taking, we're throwing it out the window, but I don't want to get off on that. But they're, but they're taught these things. And so maybe somebody looks up at, at creation that witnesses to us. It's, it's, it's not that subtle. That's why I said it's not so subtle. <laughs> But, it, but, it, but it's subtle enough where we can say, you know what, well, maybe it just happened. Maybe it just came about. Or maybe as an agnostic would say, maybe there's a God that made it, but we could never know this God. And even though the science of creationism devours the imitating false science, just like, those, just like this Aaron serpent ate up uh, the, the magicians, still people go along with this. God reveals Himself not only through creation, but through conscience. The sense of right and wrong. No matter where you go in this world, everyone has a sense of right and wrong. Every tribe has some sort of laws. They may be uh, so wrong in so many ways, but everyone, they have a certain, uh, um, uh, certain measure of moral laws. But there's a poorly constructed philosophy of relativism that challenges this notion. I'm talking about ways that God speaks to us somewhat subtly, and not that subtly. Creation, our conscience. Relativism that challenges the notion that God is the one that's put in right and wrong. Now, 
young people and old people alike, but I say it especially to the young people because you've got to... See, there used to be a time when you went to school to learn to think. That's no longer the reason. That's not what takes place in schools. Schools do not teach people how to think. That's not their purpose. They're just teaching people what they need to know, what they need to memorize for the next test so that they can get their uh, funds and, and get, get a certain percentage to pass and everything like that. It's just the world we live in. But listen, because those that speak of relativism, that truth is relative, speak your truth. We don't need to speak our truth. We need to speak God's truth, the one truth. To say that there's many truths is listen to what's being said there. That's to say this pulpit, my truth is this pulpit to me right now is a green shoe. That's my truth. And you say, well, that's not truth. Well, that may be your truth. But my truth is different. Okay. But I mean, there's just silly things that are said. So here is what you will be taught. Relativism teaches this. See, religion came along. And religion wanted to control people. So religion, that's where they started teaching this right and wrong business. That's not inherent. That's not really a part of you. Religion just got a hold of you and taught this. Uh, religion is the ones that's taught you that there are absolutes. That's where we've been taught this. So that they can control us. And often, almost every time, they'll say this. There's no absolutes. Religion is the one that's trying to push these absolutes. We're absolutely sure. There's no absolutes. Will you please listen, young people? Will you please listen, adult? What kind of philosophy is that? I'm absolutely sure there are no absolutes. I mean, it's ludicrous. It's asinine. It's ridiculous. And so these opponents would, would charge that there's no absolutes exist. Then they proceed to reference. But this is even better. There's no right and wrong. Religion comes along. Amen. Well, just look at all the wrong Christianity's done in the world. Whoa, 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 wait. Wait, wait! All the what Christianity's done wrong in the world? All the, the, the wrong that we've done? How's it wrong? You, Mr. Professor Doofensmorts, have just told me, you've just told me there's no right and wrong. I determine right and wrong. Then you turn around and tell me, therefore, be careful about those churches. They're wrong. Listen, young people. Listen, adults. We live in a society with philosophy, so-called philosophy. The Bible calls it philosophy and vain deceit. We live in a society where they tell us that there's, they're absolutely sure there's no absolutes, that, that there's no right and wrong, and that Christianity is wrong for teaching it. We live in a time, please listen. We will not tolerate this intolerance. We're going to pass laws against this intolerance. This intolerance has got to go. This intolerance has got to get you fined. This intolerance is going to get you thrown into prison. This intolerance is going to get you fired. 
I'm glad the tolerant people are the ones in control. All that toleration they're tolerating, amen. <laughs> Don't buy this garbage. Listen to what people are saying. That's the world we live in. I'm telling you, you, you mark it down, by the way. Good night, I'm up, done got off on a horse, amen, or a, a hobby horse here. But uh, listen, you mark it down. I mean, it's, 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 it's absolute ridiculousness. And man, don't buy it, amen. We live in a time, to, to those, you mark it down, you mark this down. Those that preach tolerance are often the most intolerant. Do you agree with them? Uh, let me ask something, Jesse. Do you agree with two people of the same uh, sex being married? No, I don't really agree with that. Homophobe! Well, can't we have a conversation here? I'd like to tell you, why homophobe, you're intolerant. I don't want to hear a word you've said. Let me tell you something else about these people. Ten years ago, they didn't believe in same-sex marriage. Fifteen years ago, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, all this crowd, Nancy Pelosi, they didn't believe in same-sex marriage. Twenty years ago, they didn't believe in homosexuals been in the military. But that, none of that matters. I mean, okay, I'm going on. I'm sorry, but I'm just telling you. That's the day that we live into. God reveals Himself through conscience. I'm just trying to say, harden not your heart. Sometimes there's these, the world gives these reasons. The world gives ways that you can harden your heart is the point that I'm trying to make. You are equipped. You are enabled. In this world, gives your thinking a way to dismiss that which God is saying to you. There's a conscience that God gives us. There's creation. But then, you may be in a place to where you... Where you begin to, uh, maybe it goes further than just being subtle. Maybe then somebody hands you a tract. Maybe you're going through the radio station and for some reason you stop. I'm talking about God working. Just like at first with Pharaoh, it was the serpent. But more and more, it began to be more pronounced. God's trying to get His attention. God's trying to get people's attention. And all of a sudden, this church moves in this community. Begins to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may come out of curiosity and you say, man, I wonder what's going on over there. Let's go check it out. Then you hear the, the plan of salvation. And now, yes, maybe when you were off a little girl somewhere, a little boy, you looked up to heaven and be like, man, I wonder if you could know that God. It's just, a, it's just a subtle thing. But God, through time, then He, next thing you know, here you are, sitting in a Bible preaching church, hearing the message as plain as day. Harden not your heart. See, it starts subtle, but Pharaoh hardened his heart. He gave him another chance. He hardened his heart. Uh, I've, I've told this story before. It was my uncle, and it breaks my heart, but I'll just tell it to you briefly. My uncle was, uh, I mean, he was a rowdy. I mean, my earliest memories of my uncle is him showing up to our house, uh, taking my Incredible Hulk sleeping bag, which I never got back, by the way. Taking my Incredible Hulk sleeping bag and coming in in a hurry, leaving in a hurry because he was being chased by the police and he was heading out to the woods. He was on the lamb. He was on the run from the cops. That's my very first memory of my uncle. Uh, my uncle, I mean, fr from that time on, memories, they, they, they go, I mean, just crazy memories. I mean, I was just raised around a lot of partying and drinking. He was, he was the type of person, he'd, he'd get up at 5 o'clock in the morning to get ready to go to work and he'd be knocking down beers before he went into work. And, and, and drugs. And he lived a crazy rough lifestyle. He was just a mess. But one day, my uncle, I, I had talked to him, Melanie and I, and I, I, don't, I think we were probably married by this point, but I was, was talking to my, to my uncle, and all of a sudden he came and he would come and go. He didn't live in our area long. He was kind of always on the run or getting away from this or that. But he, he showed up one day and he says, Jesse, I need to talk to you. 
I said, what's going on? He said, well, he said, uh, and, and I can't remember where it all started, but, but he said, I, I, I opened up the newspaper the other day, and I never do this. He said, but I read an article that was in there from Billy Graham. And it was just speaking straight to me about what was going on in my life. And I knew, and, he, and, he, and he's like, oh, oh, let me go back though. Because he had promised to go with me to church. This is on a Sunday. He had promised to go with us to church on that Sunday, but he didn't come. But that morning he got up and read that in the newspaper. Then he walks up to the store. While he's walking to the store, may I interject right here? Listen to the Spirit of God, please, people. As he's walking to the store, a car stops beside him. Says, excuse me, sir. But I feel like God would have me to give you this gospel tract. And he's just like, because that's another lesson. God works on both ends. If God's working on your heart, he's working on their heart. I don't care what they look like or acting like or anything else. And he says, Jesse, this, they gave this to me. And, and, and he felt like he'd been on the run from the law for a long time. Now he was on the run from the Lord. He's like, what's going on here? And we sat down and I said, Uncle Rick, I'm going to tell you what's going on here. God's working on you. God wants to save you. God's revealing Himself to you. Harden not your heart. I mean, He was worked over. He was ready. He, came, he was determined. We witnessed to Him. We talked to Him, Melanie and I. And that next Sunday, He came to church. Man, what a blessing. I'm like, this is it. I got Uncle Rick here. God's been, I mean, God has revealed Himself in a great way to Uncle Rick. It's not just looking up at the sky. I mean, it is God after this man. I stood right beside Uncle Rick. And literally, he had a death grip on that pew during the time of invitation. The gospel was preached. God was working. God revealed himself. All that's left is for my Uncle Rick to take this little step out. That's it. I say that one step because if you take that one step, the rest of them are easy. Amen. If he would have surrendered his will at that moment to God, but he wouldn't do it. He held onto that pew, broke my heart. I mean, broke my heart, but I thought maybe next time. We'll get him, we'll get him here Wednesday. We'll get him here tonight. We'll get him here next week, and we're going to keep work, working on him. But Uncle Rick never stayed around long, and sure enough, he was gone again. Next time he showed up, he was the same old Uncle Rick. And to try to bring up the gospel to that man... To try to talk salvation to that man, I'd be better off talking to that fake bush right there. That fake tree. I don't know what it is with churches and their fake trees, but I, I'd be better off talking to that fake tree. Uh, did God harden that man's heart? I'll tell you what, he hardened his own heart, amen? And, and, and the thing that we've got to understand is this God wants people to be saved, it is God's will to be saved. But here's the thing. The Bible says, Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and He will have mercy upon him and to our God for He will abundantly pardon. Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts. Romans 1 goes through a process as we all stand this morning. Romans 1 goes through a process. See, the thing about God is God allows man to have a free will. And in Romans 1, the Bible talks about those that wanted to go in their own way. And you know what the Bible says? It wasn't God's will for them to go, but they went that way just the same. 
God allowed them to go that way. See, sometimes God lets you do something. God doesn't send a firebolt down from heaven. God doesn't. And so, but God allows it. So the Bible says He gave them over. And then they didn't want to retain God in their knowledge and they kept going on in sin. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through uh, the end of the chapter. God gave them over. In other words, okay, if that's what you want to do, I will allow you to do that. God puts up stop signs. God puts preachers in the way. He does everything except for force His will upon you. Finally, the Bible says God gave them up to a reprobate mind. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. That is a real thing, folks. I'll say this to you today. Are you just giving God mouth service? It's not going to get the job done. Humble your heart today. Step out and follow Him. Amen. Turn to Him today. Quit with the mouth service. Let God do something real in your life. Are you acknowledging that, you know what, yeah, I do need to be saved. Or maybe you're a Christian, you're acknowledging, yeah, I do need to be right. You know when do you need to open up the door? When God's knocking. Amen. Call upon Him while He is near, the Bible says. Call upon Him while He is near. Heavenly Father, I thank You, dear Lord, for this truth, God, that we see in Your Word, the truth that we see in Your Word. Help us not to harden our hearts, Lord, I pray. God, I pray if there's anybody here today that's not saved, help them not to harden their hearts. Help them, God, to surrender their hearts and lives to you. 